Well, I want to welcome you to our last week of our preaching series on the afterlife. And um, that doesn't mean that I've, you know, died and then come back and I have a bunch of stuff to tell you. It seems like a lot of people make a lot of money doing that. Um, And we're not going to talk about that now, whether that's true or not. But we've been talking about what happens when we die. What happens when we die, right? Well, with that, uh, it reminds me of a conversation I had last year with my daughter, uh, my older daughter. And we took them to the New Albany Military uh, cemetery. If you've never been there, you need to go there. It's incredible. One of the oldest cemeteries in the country. It's very moving to see those bleached white tombstones and how we can celebrate our freedom because of the sacrifice of those. And so we're teaching them, our little girls, about the freedom they get to have because of the sacrifice of these these men and women that serve in the tombstones and their life represented. And my daughter walks up to one, interesting enough, and she says, hey, Daddy, what's that? And she points to uh, one specific tombstone. And the tombstone has a couple of things. And she says, what are those, Daddy? And, and the first thing she pointed at was she, there was a date. And then the second thing she pointed at was a dash. And the third thing is another date. And I said, sweetheart, well, what that is, is that this is the day that that person was born. This, this dash represents their life. And at the end of the dash, another, the second date represents when their life transitioned from this earth. Now, look, I'm not going to be trying to be morbid this morning, okay? But the, the, the fact remains that we all know that this dash just isn't very long. That's what, why they call it a dash. It's not very long. There's a beginning and there's an end, and it's not too far. We all, all of us, one day will die, Right? It reminds me of a, a funeral that was had. It was a celebration of a life by a woman. And um, uh, the, the casket was closed. And after the celebration at the church, they, put, they picked her up, the pallbearers, in, in the casket. And they began to carry her out. And as they were carrying her out in the church, they accidentally bumped a wall with the casket. And all of a sudden, they hear this groan from inside the casket. Is she alive? So they, they open up the casket, and sure enough, she's alive. And so they obviously they put down the casket, and she gets out, and the whole town's talking about it. And she lives another 15 years, just another great 15 years. Eventually, she passes away, the same church, same casket. They shut the casket this time, make sure that it's closed. Paul Bears pick her up, carrying her out, and they get to the same place in the church, and behind them, they hear her husband say, Watch out for that wall! Just make sure, don't bump the wall. I've been on a roll with cheesy preacher jokes, and uh, I, didn't want my, I didn't want it to end today, so. But eventually, death will come to all of us, right? And if you've been with us, we've been talking a lot about the afterlife, Revelation 21. We deconstructed and reconstructed our view of heaven And then last week, we looked at Revelation 22, and and if this is what heaven is, then why don't we live for that? So much better than anything we could realize. Well, today, we're going to look at Revelation 20, if you want to turn there in your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, you can turn there in a smartphone or a tablet. You're more than welcome to get that out. Or if you don't have those, you'd like to, there's a Bible in front of you. Pick that up. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible. It'd be our gift to you. We're going to be looking at Revelation 20. It's John's vision of the afterlife. It's a very sobering chapter because it gives us a very, should we say, scary picture of what is to come. 
So we're going to read together Revelation 20, verse 11. Would you stand with me? Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and they were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Verse 15, anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I just want you to take note of that last few words there, was thrown into the lake of fire. Go ahead and you can be seated. Thank you. Now, maybe you're here today and you're a guest, or maybe you're here today and you brought a guest, and you just heard the phrase, lake of fire, and you're going, great. It's not the thing that I wanted to talk about today. Hell, I mean, really, this is what we're going to talk about. You know, in, in all the years that I've been a pastor, over 15 years now, I've never spent an entire message about this phrase. But today, that's what we're going to talk about. Next week, relationships. Today, this phrase, the lake of fire. According to Gallup, over 90% of all Americans believe there's a heaven. Okay, so most of Americans say, yeah, there's a heaven. But a very small percentage of those of us would say that there's a hell or there's a place. And maybe it's because um, we just don't really want to believe that. Or maybe it's because we, 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 we believe it, but we don't know a lot about it. Or maybe it's because we think that hell is very small and it's only designated to those who are really, 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 really bad, like Hitler and bin Laden. Or maybe we believe, you know, basically... Be, a bookstore title. You know, one title I found in a book, it's called, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. That's what they call that. Uh, that's what the name of the book was. Interesting attitude for sure. Or maybe we've seen the Far Side comic, which is one of my favorite comics. And they have several depictions about hell. One of them that we're going to put on the screen for you says, welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. And it says, welcome to hell. Here's your accordion. <laughs> Sorry, accordion players for you, those here today. Another one that makes me laugh shows somebody standing at an urn getting their coffee, and it says underneath, oh man, the coffee is cold. They thought of everything here. <laughs> oh, that was really funny. Now we laugh at these, right? But how can we separate fact from fiction? How can we say, you know, this is true, this is not true? Well, we, I want to deconstruct what we believe about the lake of fire, about hell, and then I want to reconstruct more about it. So I want to give you five myths about hell this morning with the most gentle and loving way that I can. If you have a listening guide, you can follow along with me. Myth number one, hell does not exist. We just described it as a lake of fire. It's an eternal place. It's real. They're not just depictions of something that don't exist. Many believe, though, that it doesn't exist. Uh, Pope Francis claimed hell does not exist recently. An atheist journalist quoted the Pope saying, those who do not repent and cannot be forgiven disappear. There is no hell. There is the disappearance of sinful souls. But this contradicts what the Roman Catholic Church believes. So obviously, this caused quite a stir, right? Uh, so the Vatican insisted the argument, uh, and they argued that, you know, he was taken out of context, but there hasn't been much clarification since. 
Now, however, regardless of what the Pope said, it really doesn't matter because that should not impact our theology, our understanding of hell. Where we get our theology of hell should come from Christ. He's the only man that lived. He's the only man that died. He's the only man that was literally resurrected from the grave on his own. There was a, a preacher who was talking about a church member who didn't like the sermons. He was talking about hell. And so the, the, ser- the, pre- the, the member said, well, preach about the meek and lowly Jesus. But the preacher said back, well, that's where I got my information on hell to begin with. You see, Jesus is the one that told us about this place. Matthew chapter 13, verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and who do not, who do, who, all who do evil. So they will throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark 9, 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cat, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. So here's my point, that hell is mentioned by Christ multiple times. In fact, he talks about it a lot. And here's the very same man that would go to the cross to pay for the penalty of our sin because of his love for you and I to save us from this place called hell. So it is a real place. The second myth, hell is temporary. Jesus talked about hell and its eternality. Look at it, Matthew chapter 25, 46. It says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He uses the word eternal twice to describe heaven and to describe hell. The word eternal, if you want to do a word study, if you're thinking, well, that's not really what it says. Actually, that word in the Greek actually literally means never ending. That's what Jesus was talking about there. Can you recall a moment in your life when you went through horrific physical pain? Maybe you broke a bone. My brothers and I played sports growing up, and the the doctor in the ER uh, knew us by name because we would either break each other's bones or we would break somebody else's bones, typically. And they knew us by name. Hey, it's the Green family. Here they come. And I remember breaking a bone in my body, and it hurt so very badly. It It was a compound fracture. It hurt so bad, I just wanted to get out of my body. I don't know if you had that kind of pain before. But then, thankfully, that pain ended. Can you imagine if that pain never ended? One theologian, Jonathan Edwards, in the 18th century, he said this, Imagine yourself cast into a fiery oven glowing with heat. Imagine that your body was going to live there for a quarter of an hour, full of fire inside and out, feeling every fiber of it the whole time. What horror would you feel? But what if you knew you must lie there enduring that torment in its fullness for 24 hours? How much greater still if you knew you must endure it for a thousand years? But wouldn't your heart sink if you knew you must be bear it forever and ever? Myth number three, here we go. Hell will be a party. I heard a guy one time say this, I got my flayed retardant suit so that I can party a little longer in hell. Now you can take a flame retardant suit to hell, but it's not gonna, it's gonna be for naught because there, it's gonna be torment and and misery, we, you, you, you see words like lake of fire, burning sulfur, eternal death. Paul, the apostle, he says that they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength that we will be separated from the presence of God. What makes a party fun? What makes a party fun? It's not the food. It's not the beverages. It's not the place. You know what makes it fun? Friends. I mean, you don't have a party by yourself. 
You have a party with friends. You go to watch the football game with other guys. You go to the movies with other people. Or maybe you're, you're, maybe you're we have a guy on our staff. He goes to the movies by himself. I'm going to try it out sometime. I don't know. But you go and have a party with other people, right? Well, in hell, we're going to have separation from community altogether. Because we're going to be separated from God. And the reason why is because the only reason why we have friendships is because the Holy Trinity, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, between those three and the Holy Trinity, there's perfect relationship. That's where we get our community from. So, obviously, right? We're not going to have any relationships. It will be misery. The only thing left will be our sins that we didn't repent of on this earth, tormenting us. You will become your jealousy or your insecurity, your selfishness or your materialism, your racism or your hate or your prejudice, or your pride or your bitterness, your dishonesty, your suspicion, your fear. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Randy Aircorn says, for Christians, the present life, this life is the closest that will come to hell, but for unbelievers, it is the closest that will come to heaven. Misery. Myth number four, follow along with me. We're on autopilot to heaven. Myth number four, we're on autopilot to heaven. I have a, a really good friend of mine. He has his PhD and he wrote an article recently that had more observations in regards to this. And he makes it clear that we're on autopilot to go to heaven for several different reasons in our country. One of them is, is because we think we're a good person. Now, this isn't just an American or cultural or, or 21st century thing. This, is, this goes way back. In the Egyptian Book of the Dead, it actually says that your soul is going to appear before a deity. And if your soul is as light as a feather, well, then you will get into heaven. Now, of course, we don't believe this, right? But we believe that all of my good stuff stacked up this tall, and then all my bad stuff sticked up this tall. Well, we got some wiggle room. We're good. But Scripture talks about that if we're not as perfect as the perfect Jesus, well, then lake of fire for you. Another way, reason why we're on autopilot to get to heaven is, and I, and I want you to hear me on this, is baptism. I say this with all the love in my heart, but as I've heard people tell me before, well, I'm going to heaven because I've been baptized. Well, I, I want to tell you that that's a lie. That is not in Scripture. You see, I want you to understand that the, God never said that if you get baptized, you're going to heaven. God said that the, the way that we are saved and we go to heaven is because of his son's death on the cross, burial, and resurrection. And our belief in that impacts everything. You see, that is why we get baptized, to tell the world that we're a follower and a believer of that. If you've not repented and put your full faith in Christ and baptism, it doesn't mean anything. If you want to do more study on it, you can. Phil, be my guest. We'll have a conversation later. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. John 3, 16. The whole book of Romans. Just read the whole thing. And you'll, you'll get the picture, friend, that baptism is not what saves you. Another reason why we think we're on autopilot is because we go to church. A preacher one time said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking in a Chick-fil-A makes you a chicken sandwich. I wish it was open today, though. Don't you? <laughs> it's like always the best on Sunday when it's closed. 
The church is a place for those of us to, to come and to gather and to hear hope, for those of us to, to come as we are, for to lay our burdens down, to be encouraged, to give in vision, to, to be sent back out on mission and vision. The church is a place for us to, to truly understand who we are and, and what we're to do in this world and how we're to live our life. But just simply coming to church, it's not like a light goes off and you all of a sudden are on autopilot to heaven. Certainly you can make a decision in this place and thousands have. But it's not the place that saves you. Another reason why we think we're on autopilot to heaven, and this is the final one I'm going to share with you, is that we, we think because our dad was a preacher or our, our mom or our dad was a, a deacon or our uncle was a deacon or our mom served in the nursery or you serve in the youth or you did this or you did that. I heard this example recently and it hit me really, 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 it hit me right between the eyes. Imagine with me if you have seven sons, seven strong, strapping sons, and they're all incredible guys, and they all grow up, and they go into the ministry. They become pastors. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want them to become pastors, right? You know, the nine o'clock didn't get that either, all right? You'll get it. Just give us some time. So anyways, they, all seven of your sons become pastors, and you believe that you're going to go to heaven based upon what they've done and how they serve, Right? Well, the sad thing is, is that their belief in God won't get you to heaven. Let's say that you die in this fictitious story. You will burn in the lake of fire while they do your funeral. It's hard hitting, but it's true. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. So why did Christ die? Well, he died to satisfy the, just, the justice of God. He dealt justly with our sin on the cross. There's this thing called justice that God is, thankfully, because he, he delineates justice accordingly, but Jesus took on the judgment that we really should have taken. And, and see, if every action and thought hasn't been lined up perfectly with Jesus, well, then Scripture says the lake of fire for you. That's just. American theology, Johnny Cash he wrote a song called When the Man Comes Around. I don't know if you've ever heard this song, but it's actually based out of Revelation. He says this, Whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down when the man comes around. Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers, 100 million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying. Some are born and some are dying. It's alphas and omegas. Kingdom come when the man comes around. See, what this song does is it echoes to us our, our desire for justice, for things to be made right. We're built this way, right? He cut me off. They deserve justice. Or they, look at how they parked illegally. Look at that. Look at that. Or they hurt me and they deserve. Or they murdered so-and-so they deserve. Or they're a terrorist and they deserve. We're wired for justice. We want justice for everybody. We don't want justice for ourselves. Why? Because we know, we know that we're broken. We, we're sinful and we're badly needing the same punishment. Revelation 20 is speaking to us about that and that, that our default destination is in heaven. 
We're not on an autopilot to it. See, my question is this. Does that mean that a loving God sends people to hell? This is my final myth this morning, that God sends people to hell. I have this question asked a lot. In fact, a lot of people don't believe in Christianity and Jesus because of this one simple thing. There's no way a loving God could send people to hell. There's no way, and then they just cut it off. Let me speak a little clarity into the situation. We see through Scripture that God gives choices. He gave Israel a choice. He gives us a choice. You see, we, God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves there. If you, maybe if today here in this place, you're agnostic or you're atheist, or, or maybe you're just unchurched. I don't know where you stand this morning, but you know, we all have a God we serve. It just depends on what that God is. And, and even atheists have a God themselves, making up truth and, and determining what's right and wrong. So to help understand this principle, which is a very hard one to communicate, I want to give you an illustration, okay? Now let's just suppose that I'm walking down the road, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm in an area, and you happen to be there. And, and, I, and I catch you, and you're in an area, you're, you're, in the, you're in the gutter, and you're laying there, and you're a, and a, you're a drug addict, a very bad one. And you've been in it for many, many, many years, and, you, and you've been up all night, high, and you've vomited all over yourself. You haven't bathed in weeks. Your clothes are all tattered. You're homeless. And so out of grace and mercy and love, I, I, I stoop down, and I say, hey, out of love and mercy for you, I, I, want, I want to take you home. I want to buy new clothes for you, give you some food so you get back on your feet again. But because I love you so very much, I don't want to just stop there. In fact, you can live with me. You can come to my house. You can live with my family. In fact, I love you so much that I want to give you a new last name. You can take on the green last name. And you know what? You can become a part of my family. But I love you so much, and I want to extend you so much grace. Not only that case, but more so, I want you to have access to my bank account. Everything in my bank account is yours. You can access it anytime you want because you can be in my family. Now, I want to ask you a question, a few this morning. Do you feel like that is reasonable? Well, we, more than reasonable, it's loving. Now, what if I were to say this, though? There's one rule in living in my house, and that is that there are no dra drugs, absolutely no drugs allowed. And now you have the choice to make. Will you love your drugs, or will you love the conditions that I'm inviting you into? Well, you would say, well, that's a pretty reasonable request. I mean, let's just say that you have a vacation house, and you invite me and my family there. And you say, hey, I want you, Pastor Ray, to have this vacation house for this amount of time in the summertime. But you say to me, there's one stipulation, no jumping on the beds. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. I won't jump on the beds. I'll come anytime you want. All right, just let me know. All right. But see, if, if you reject my offer and you go back to live on Skid Row because you love your drugs, does that make me unloving? No. It doesn't, and you can't blame me for it either. Now, let's apply this to God in heaven and hell. You can't blame God for being unloving if we choose something else other than heaven and his son. You see, God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves there. 
It's our grand finale, right? And saying, I'll do it on my own, God. Now you may ask, okay, so why would God invent and create hell in the first place? That's a good question. He never created hell for you and I. He created it for Satan and his horde. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. The eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, it wasn't intended for you and me, but if you decide like the devil and, and his subjects that for, the, for not to follow God, well, then you're going to go where they are. You know, I, I was thinking a lot about this this last week. And honestly, to be honest with you, I was thinking, you know, this is going to be a hard message to share. And this is going to be a hard message for people to take in. But it's an important one because time is ticking, right? Now, uh, I, I found this website a while back and I want to show it to you. It's called deathclock.com. Here, I'll put it on the screen for you. There it is. And it says, the death clock, the in internet's friendly reminder that life is slipping away. What a great way to end a sermon, right? And so what you can do is you can put your day of birth. Now, don't do it now, okay? Put your smartphone down. You can do it later. But you can put your day of birth, your month of birth, your year of birth, all that stuff. And it'll, it'll kick out when you will, you know, kick the bucket at the end, all right? It'll actually tell you when you'll transition. Isn't that great to know? All right, so I did it this last week, and it's Thursday, July 10th, 2053. There will be great morning on that specific day in just a few years. Now, you know what interested me about that? The website gives me a couple of things. First of all, after it tells you when you're going to transition, which is just funny, all right? It's just, you know, it's just kind of, it's just kind of a fun deal, it gives you three options. The first one, it gives you a diet plan. <laughs> the second one is it gives you an option to be cryogenically frozen. And then the third option is, is that you can plan your own funeral and you can click and you can actually go and pay for your own funeral. Now, I don't know about you, but the diet plan, eh, the cryogenically frozen thing to Michael Jackson for me, okay, if you just ask. But the third thing is planning my own funeral. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Maybe you are, but I'm not really ready. But the most serious part of this is that all of this tells us is this thing right here is real. That there is a dash and there's a beginning and there's an end for all of us. And the question that we have is as we, we summarize this preaching series is that this dash will dictate a lot. Now, I got to admit something, that I lied to my daughter. I, I'm a liar, okay? I'm just admitting it to you. Here's why I lied to her. Because I told her that there was two dates and one dash, but there's not really. There's two dates and there's two dashes. But the second dash, it's really not a dash, is it? It's more like a never-ending line. It's eternity. You see, our life is composed of two dates and two dashes. And the question is, what are we going to do with this one that will impact this one? It's a serious question. It's a question that we all must reconcile. It's just between you and God. I'm here there's leaders here, there's elders here, there's other Christ followers here, but it's a question we all must reconcile.
For those of you in this place here today, just for those of you who are Christ followers, I want you to lean in for a moment. All of you who will say, yes, I'm a Christ follower. Yes, I place my faith in Christ. Yes, yes, that's me. I'm a Christian. That's me. That's my label. Okay, if that's you today, I want to ask you, what, how are you spending this? What are you doing with it? If it's just so small, then let's capture it, right? My prayer is that this community, this church, will be a place of followers of Jesus, and we get this, and then so that we can get this. And we'll take every moment captive. We'll take every single solitary moment captive. And we'll live like Christ. We'll love like Christ. And we'll share his story, how it can transform their life, just like it transformed ours. And I'm praying and I'm hoping that this will be the kind of community, redemptive community, where people will come and they'll know there's something different about us. There's, no, there's, there's a place of answers, a place of truth, a place of real hope. And if we can get this, guys, then everything else, just, it, it, it's all golden, right? And it's all so clear. It seems so, life is so difficult, and there's so many things crowding things out, but when we really put this into perspective, I mean, it just all just focuses in for us. And I just want to encourage you this morning that there is great hope to come, and we have an opportunity with our moments to not to let anything slip away, but to take every moment and to leverage everything we have for this. And so with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with the nations, may the glory of God resound from our life. May we have this singular focus. That's my prayer for my life, for my family's life, for our church. The other question I want to ask is, do you know where you'll spend this? Where you spend this depends upon the choices you make in this. And the choice is, is just real simple. Here you are, you're broken. You're in need of a savior. You cannot see God. It's a problem. You can't solve it, as we talked about earlier, not on autopilot. The only way to see God is to literally put your faith and trust and believe in Jesus Christ. It's not growing up in it. It's not going to church. It's not being a good person. It's believing in Christ, and it's turning from everything else. The Bible uses the word called repent, and it means I'm just going to turn my back on those things. I'm going to put my eyes toward Christ. I'm going to go that way. And now I'm going to begin to read the Bible, which is God's guidebook for our life, and I'm going to begin to follow what he says. That's what it looks like. And if you've never done that before, today, I want to invite you to do that this moment now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope we have to come. God, we're f far from you. I've walked a long, long, long time on my own. And now I need you. And I'm asking that you would come in my life, that you would 
save me, that you would forgive me. <laughs> Thank you for your, your life, your death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. And because of that, my sins, my brokenness, all put away and forgiven. And today, I, I want to follow you. I want to know you in heaven, God. I put my trust and belief in this. I'm turning towards you. Thank you so much, God, for the decisions being made. And I pray that these would be decisions that would be lived out the rest of our life. Now, Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship you this morning, I pray as we celebrate communion as Christ followers here at the front or in this room, or we come up for prayer, ministry, or we just come up to be prayed for to, to get questions answered, God. I pray you would be glorified and we would truly worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.